Welcome to The Humanist Report. I'm Mike Figueredo. Today's episode is sponsored by Gamefly.com. If you visit the link in the description box and sign up for a free 30-day trial, not only do you get free movies and games for 30 days, but you also support the show because Gamefly donates $15 to The Humanist Report for every referral that we give, and you don't even have to keep it. Also, our show is sponsored by our latest donors uh, in the form of Patreon patrons as well as members. Uh, so we have Judith S., Nicholas C, uh, Ruth S, as well as Amani S, who have all recently contributed to the Humanist Report. So without all of your guys' support, this show would not be possible. So I really want to thank all of you guys. On today's episode, I will be discussing more Bernie Sanders campaign news. I'll be talking about the 2016 election in general, um, as well as the other contenders such as Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton. And also, I will be doing the Humanist Report Awards for the year, such as Humanist of the Year, as well as uh, the Most Disliked Person of the Year, decided by both myself and viewers. So uh, I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Stay tuned. President Obama made history in 2008 when he collected 1 million individual contributions. Now I'm happy to announce that Bernie Sanders has shattered that record. He's doubled that. So Bernie Sanders has collected 2.3 million, that's million with an M, 2.3 million individual donations. Now let me give you another tidbit of information that's inst that's just crazy. Um, so when the DNC suspended Bernie Sanders' access to NGP Van, that really pissed off Bernie Sanders supporters. I'm one example of that. Uh, and guess what happened? He raised $1 million in that day alone. I'm going to repeat that. He raised $1 million in a day from pissed off uh, supporters. So uh, a lot of people around the internet on the uh, Bernie Sanders subreddit, as well as uh, myself, you know, we've, we've been telling everybody, go out and donate that day so we can really show the DNC that we're not playing games. And you guys delivered, and now the DNC, they're shit in their pants, guys. I mean, they don't know the force that are progressive. They don't know that they've woken the beast. I mean, this is insane. This is insane. Now, in terms of quantity of money, Hillary Clinton still does have more than Bernie. She's almost lapping him. She has 77.5 million uh, in terms of just dollars. Uh, and Bernie Sanders has raised roughly 44 million. Uh, but that's because she has a super PAC and has taken money from Wall Street and Bernie Sanders is not doing those things. So this isn't surprising. Uh, he would definitely have an advantage if he did have a super PAC, but, uh, He's not doing that because he's actually principled. Uh, now, what does this illustrate? I want to talk about this because it illustrates something really big. Something is happening, guys. I mean, something really big is happening in our political system. A political revolution is brewing. I mean, we're looking for a huge change, a new New Deal, and a new generation of progressives is rising up. Bernie Sanders is rising up. So the DNC may do everything they can to try to stifle Bernie Sanders' campaign, and they could potentially be successful at doing that entirely. But if you think that's the end of the progressive movement, I've got really bad news for you, because what Bernie Sanders has started will continue on, and it's only going to get bigger. So uh, this is fantastic news. Uh, Bernie Sanders supporters really need to be proud of themselves because I've never seen this type of grassroots activism for a national candidate. It's just absolutely insane. Uh, so kudos to you guys. Everyone give yourselves a pat on the back if you've done any sort of activism at all for Bernie Sanders because you are the reason why he is excelling.
So we're just over a month away from the Iowa caucus and the New Hampshire primary, and a new YouGov poll shows that Bernie Sanders is looking really, really good going into them. Uh, so uh, I'll go through each of these polls here and tell you their results. When it comes to the question of which candidate are you most likely to vote for in the New Hampshire Democratic presidential primary, Hillary Clinton got 42%, while Bernie Sanders has 56%. So he is back in the lead in New Hampshire, and he's he's got a really strong double-digit lead. This is great. Martin O'Malley, sitting there at 1%. So, uh... uh <laughs> I don't know what he's doing. Um, now, the margin of error for this particular poll was uh, plus or minus 5.7 percentage points. Now, when it comes to Iowa, uh, in a poll with 1,252 registered voters with a margin of error of plus or minus 5.3%, uh, when it comes to the question of which candidate voters are most, most likely to caucus for, Hillary Clinton got 50% of the vote and Bernie Sanders got 45 percent of the vote. Now, as you can see, Hillary Clinton has a five-point lead, but five percent is within the margin of error. So, in effect, they're in a statistical tie at this point. So, this is insane uh, to be coming up this close to Hillary Clinton, like about a month before the Iowa caucus. That's amazing. And let me remind you, this is closer to Clinton than Obama was in 2008. Uh, now, Martin O'Malley in this poll actually has 4%. So, I mean, wow, looks like you're making some movement there. It's not 1% for once. So, you get one clap for that. Congratulations, Martin O'Malley. Okay, so now the bad news. When it comes to South Carolina, in a poll of 1,469 registered voters, 67% plan to vote for Hillary Clinton and only 31% intend to vote for Bernie Sanders. He's got some work to do there, but if he does win in either Iowa or New Hampshire, that momentum could change things. It's going to probably change things nationally. Uh, actually, almost definitely going to change things nationally, and it very probably could change things in South Carolina. Now, Martin O'Malley has 2% here. Uh, so, uh, yeah, not much of a factor here, and uh, I'm not sure if I said this already, but the margin of error for this particular poll is five percentage points, uh, plus or minus. So now in 2008, I, I want to remind you guys what happened back then. So in 2008, going into the Iowa caucus, Hillary Clinton was ahead of Barack Obama in the polls, uh, and she ended up finishing in third. Uh, Barack Obama came in first, and John Edwards came in second, despite the fact that she was ahead. So the fact that Bernie Sanders is further along in the polls than Barack Obama was in 2007, at least with respect to this poll, it's looking really great right now. Um, and furthermore, the fact that he has a really strong 14-point lead in New Hampshire, I mean, we can't stop the activism, but there's a reason to be optimistic at this point. Now, if he just wins one, either Iowa or New Hampshire, things change. Suddenly, in the media, he's a national viable contender. He'll get the media attention. And then at that point, Bernie Sanders' campaign just blows up once people know about him and they hear about him. Um, so this could change everything. So you just have to win one. Um, if you could win both, that would be great too because no candidate has ever won uh, Iowa and New Hampshire uh, together and then went on to lose the nomination. So any candidate who's won both has basically become the nominee. It doesn't guarantee it, but I mean, it increases the probability so much. It makes him appear as though he is such a viable candidate 
that he would become the new presumptive nominee, potentially. Uh, but who knows with the media, because they're completely messed up. Uh, but basically, what we have to do is we have to make sure that if you are a Bernie Sanders supporter in Iowa, if you are a Bernie Sanders supporter in New Hampshire, you got to get out there because you could change things for the rest of us. I mean, your actions dictate the outcome of this primary. So, I mean, if you're in Iowa, you've got a caucus for Bernie Sanders. And I think that we actually have the advantage because progressive voters are a lot more hardline in their political positions. There are a lot more um, activists in their political orientation. So I think that we have the advantage. And this is particularly the, 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 uh, the case. And Hillary Clinton even commented on this and stated that usually the extremists in the party tend to do better in caucuses because they can convince others and whatnot and they turn out in larger numbers um and furthermore when it comes to new hampshire hillary clinton she did a really great campaign against barack obama in 2008 and, and ended up winning so we've got to keep the pressure on the fact that we have a big lead in new hampshire it doesn't mean anything if right before uh the vote hillary clinton turns out and her voters turn out so we've got to maintain the momentum we can't slack right now We've got to keep on going, um, but this poll gives us a lot of hope. Ladies and gentlemen, I am happy to report that Donald Trump is feeling the burn. Now, this burn came after Bernie Sanders revealed the true intentions of Donald Trump and his campaign. Bernie Sanders states, Donald Trump is a guy who does not want to raise the minimum wage. In fact, he has said that he thinks wages in America are too high, but he does want to give hundreds of billions of dollars in tax breaks to the top three-tenths of one percent. So I think for his working class and middle class supporter, I think we can make the case that if we really want to address the issues that people are concerned about, why the middle class is disappearing, massive income and wealth inequality in this country, that we need policies that bring us together, that take on the greed of Wall Street, the greed of corporate America, and create a middle class that works for all of us, rather than an economy that works for just a few. That's not an agenda that makes America great. It's just another Republican billionaire wanting to make the very rich richer at the expense of working families. Now, Donald Trump responds with this tweet. Bernie Sanders, who blew his campaign when he gave Hillary a pass on her email crime, said that I feel wages in America are too high. Lie. Except it's not a lie. We don't win anymore. Our taxes are too high. I've come up with a tax plan that many, many people like very much. It's going to be a tremendous plan. I think it'll make our country and our economy very dynamic. But Taxes too high, wages too high. Wages too high. It's the world. I hate to say it, but we have to leave it the way it is. People have to go out, they have to work really hard, and they have to get into that upper stratum. But we cannot do this if we are going to compete with the rest of the world. We just can't do it. So do not raise the minimum wage. I would not raise the minimum. Why the fuck you lying? Why you always lying? So that video right there is proof that Donald Trump did in fact have that position. He directly, explicitly stated, clear as day, we all heard it, that wages in America are too high and as a result we can't compete with other countries such as China. So he was kind of inferring that maybe we should have slave wages because that's what they have abroad. I mean in India and China and whatnot you can barely survive. Hence the reason why, if you look at countries such as India, where a bunch of call center jobs have been shipped overseas, uh, only one-fourth of households have toilets in India. And that's because the standard of living is so low because wages are so low. Donald Trump wants to make us like them. 
You heard it right there. And by saying something like that, mind you, it should have just immediately disqualified him from the race altogether. But the fact that the media didn't cover this and they kind of swept it under the rug allowed Donald Trump to just get away with it. Uh, but Bernie Sanders has exposed him as the greedy billionaire that he actually is. Now, Donald Trump kind of threw a temper tantrum on Twitter as a result of Bernie's attack, uh, and he released a series of tweets that I'm going to read to you. So he states, The middle class has worked so hard, are not getting the kind of jobs that they have long dreamed of, and no effective raise in years. Bad. Hmm, okay, so it kind of seems like he's walking back a little bit. Uh, he also states, many of the great jobs that the people of our country want are long gone, shipped to other countries. We now are part-time. Sad. I will fix. Okay, that's actually true. Donald Trump, what's going on? <laughs> Furthermore, he states, wages in our country, in our country, mind you, I mean, this is a presidential candidate. He doesn't know the difference between our and our. Sorry. I digress, but he states wages in our country are too low, good jobs are too few, and people have lost faith in our leaders. We need smart and strong leadership. Now, I'm going to read that first part to you again. Wages in our country are too low. Let me remind you, he said this recently. Wages too high. Now he's saying wages are too low. Do you see what's happening here? Bernie Sanders literally got Donald Trump to flip on an issue. I mean, if that's not feeling the burn, I don't know what is. Now, my favorite tweet from Donald Trump is this one. He states, Strange, but I see wacko Bernie Sanders allies coming over to me because I'm lowering taxes while he will double, triple, he will, while he will double and triple them, excuse me. A disaster. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, don't hold your breath on that one because Bernie Sanders supporters are some of the most politically savvy people in the country. And I think that we know who's going to uh, handle our taxes the best. And I'll give you a hint. It's not a billionaire who went bankrupt over four times. Now, furthermore, uh, why did Donald Trump change his position? Now, aside from the fact that Bernie Sanders exposed him as a greedy billionaire that he is in actuality, well, when you look at public opinion polls, you'll see that you don't really want to be on the wrong side of an issue that's overwhelmingly popular among the American people. So case in point, um, all the other Republicans are against minimum wage. And this is not smart because 71% of adults are in favor of minimum wage being increased. Uh, so that's one thing. But to actually take it a step further and say that wages are too high when 71% of people want them increased, that's not smart. That's not an electorally viable strategy, and you can't win with that. So let me give you some of these numbers specifically. So 91% of Democrats, they want minimum wage increase, 68% of independents, and 50% of Republicans. Now, when you look at individuals and you control for ideological position, uh, liberals, 94% want to increase, 75% of independents want an increase to minimum wage, and 54% of conservatives want an increase to minimum wage. These numbers are strong, so it indicates a very strong stance of the American people. Now, this whole debacle was smart for Bernie Sanders for several reasons, and I love it. So first and foremost, the media gave Trump a pass, and Bernie Sanders had to effectively do the job of the media, call him out, because if somebody says that the wages in America are too low, not only is that untrue, but it's actually outrageous because it's just offensive because that's that's not the case at all. Uh, now, second, it shows that Bernie Sanders is actually really strong and he can hold his own against Donald Trump in the event both him and Donald Trump become the nominees for their party. Uh, so for everyone who thinks that Bernie Sanders is going to just roll over and die if he gets a nomination and that a Republican will steamroll him, 
That's not true, and we all know that. Now, finally, how do you actually get media attention in today's political climate? You either A, have to be Donald Trump himself, or B, you have to attack or call out Donald Trump. And this is what Bernie Sanders did, and look what happened. He got media attention and probably garnered a lot more favorability on his behalf just because he really showed that Donald Trump is a liar. Now, I've, uh, I've made videos and segments on the fact that Donald Trump is a liar and that he is he was actually courting billionaire donors even though he's saying that he doesn't want to take money from them so we already know that donald trump is a fraud but the media doesn't say it so we need someone to say it and bernie sanders did that and he got donald trump to reverse his position and this was phenomenal so donald trump you're gonna need to ice that burn man because that was not a good look for you you just got owned, you noob. You just got owned, motherfucker. You just got, you just got, you just got owned. Hillary Clinton is likely cognizant of the fact that Bernie Sanders could potentially pull off one of the biggest political upsets in history. Now, in fact, she sent a message to her followers and individuals on her email list stating that she could actually lose the nomination. She says, quote, I don't know how else to say it except by saying it we could lose the nomination. Politicians do this all the time. If you're on any politician's email list, they always try to create a sense of urgency to galvanize you, to get you to donate, because they think that if you feel as though their campaign is in danger, you'll be more inclined to vote. And that's actually true. Uh, but her statement here, you know, this isn't just to galvanize support among her followers. It's actually true. Her campaign is vulnerable. She's not inevitable. It's going to be a tough battle for her because her actions have disenfranchised a lot of people. And when individuals boycott elections, when they stay home or when they vote third party, Republicans win. She knows this, but she hasn't done anything to change it. But at a rally, someone actually asked her if she's concerned that the people who supported Barack Obama in 2008 and who are now supporting Bernie Sanders might not vote for her if she becomes the Democratic nominee. And this was her response. It was really telling. She states, I am sorry that they are disappointed now with President Obama. I don't think he gets the credit he deserves for doing so much for our country. I think it is very dangerous to look at the alternatives and believe that you staying home is a responsible choice. It is hard for me to believe that anybody who would support Senator Sanders would want to see any of the Republicans be elected president of the United States. And I happen to believe I'm a better candidate to win to be the next Democratic president and to pursue a progressive agenda. Yeah, right. But I respect anyone who is supporting one of my Democratic opponents. But I would just ask, once this nomination is wrapped up, that they come and join with us to make sure that we don't turn the White House back over to the Republicans. I respect people who had strong political feelings. I wish more Americans had strong political feelings, but I don't have any sympathy for people who decide they're going to pass because whoever the alternative is is not pure enough. Negative advertising perfected by the Republicans is aimed at doing one of two things, convincing voters that a candidate you might think is okay really isn't, turning that person into a sort of alien, even making stuff up about the person, or so discouraging people with the negativity of the campaign that folks say they don't want anything to do with, that, with the politicians. That thrills the Koch brothers. They do high fives when they see polling like that. Uh, so first and foremost, you're not the better choice, Hillary, because Bernie Sanders outperforms you in every single hypothetical matchup thus far. Now, second of all, this rubs me the wrong way because the entire tone is condescending. First and foremost, she just assumes that she's going to win and she's already preemptively asking for our support as if she has this wrapped up in the bag. She's still acting as though, 
you know, she's inevitable. And she doesn't realize that we don't like this. We don't like the inevitability uh, myth. Now, furthermore, she's using a Republican tactic. She is fear-mongering. Think about this. So what do Republicans do to get you to vote for them? Because they know they're going to screw you over economically, but they still want your vote. So they'll fear-monger about ISIS. They'll fear-monger about Iran and try to scare you. What Hillary Clinton does is she fear-mongers about Republicans to Democratic voters and states, well, you don't want a Republican to win, do you? Well, you better vote for me because I'm the only chance you got. And if you don't vote for me, if you boycott this election, there's a chance you could be dealing with a Republican candidate. But Hillary Clinton, I've got news for you. If fear-mongering tactics worked on Democratic voters, we probably wouldn't be Democratic voters. I'm sure we'd all be voting Republican if we were scared that easily. But we're actually logical and use reason and rationale to make our political decisions. So that's not gonna work with us. And I'm offended that you would even try to be that condescending to us. We're not stupid. We dislike you not because of Republican attack ads. We dislike you not because of media attacks against you. We dislike you because you're not a good candidate and you're not a progressive, you're disingenuous, and you're lying to us. So let me give you a couple specific reasons. First and foremost, you're a corporatist. Uh, you're taking money from Wall Street, the big banks. If you really wanted to get my vote, you would send that money back to Wall Street and tell him you don't want it because that's what Bernie Sanders is doing. And he's proving to me that he's not going to be beholden to these idiots who are wrecking the country. Now, second, you're a neoconservative when it comes to foreign policy. George Bush supported the Iraq war and he's considered a neocon. Bush, uh, Dick Cheney supported the Iraq war. He's considered a neocon. You supported the Iraq war, so why aren't you a neocon? The Republicans want a Syrian no-fly zone. Guess who else wants a Syrian no-fly zone? Hillary Clinton, surprise, surprise. So you're a neocon, we disagree with you there. Now furthermore, uh, you're not a progressive. You make $200,000 per hour when you give speeches to Goldman Sachs, yet you won't get on board with a $15 minimum wage. You think that $12 will suffice. That's not a progressive policy at all. And if you think that's gonna help you while going into negotiations with Republicans, it's not, because they're going to barter you down to $10 per hour. So you have to at least start with $15 per hour. Otherwise, you're just not being serious about raising the minimum wage. Now, furthermore, you're colluding with the DNC to stifle Bernie Sanders' campaign and make the competition between you two uneven. I dislike that. Prior to this, I may have acquiesced and voted for you just because I don't want a Republican to win. But now with all these corrupt tactics... I don't think I could support a party almost as corrupt as Republicans. I mean, you are showing us that you'll do anything it takes to win. I don't think you're principled. I don't think you're in this for the American people, for me. And that makes me not want to support you if you do get the nomination. Now, finally, uh, you only pay lip service to us when it comes to social issues. I mean, when it comes to LGBT rights, you've supported policies that have harmed the gay community. Uh, when it comes to Hispanics, you don't know how to talk to them. You have to pander and say, uh, make these stupid articles stating, well, seven reasons why Hillary Clinton is like your abuela. Just stop. Just stop. Uh, and, and furthermore, you've been completely quiet while Obama is going to be deporting lots and lots of families over the holiday season. Bernie Sanders and Martin O'Malley spoke out against this, but you've been silent. Now, furthermore, you have not come up with policies to specifically address the concerns of the Black Lives Matter movement. Where are you here? You're the only candidate of three that has not done that. You've got to get on board. You've got to come out with a strong policy. You've hinted at what you do, what you do, and I like what I've heard, but actually release an official platform stating that you are going to try to get this done and prove to me that you're not just paying lip service to them. Now, you're just a bad candidate. We don't like you because you're corrupt. We don't like you because you have too many corporate buddies, uh, and I don't feel like you're 
you're looking out for us and you're just part of the establishment and we all know establishment policies don't work. That's why we don't support you, Hillary. It's not because of the reasons you've mentioned. It's because you're not a good candidate. So if you're truly worried that we may boycott this election or vote third party, there's a simple solution. Be a better candidate. Actually send back the money from Wall Street, as I've stated. Send back the money that Time Warner gave you. Send back the money that the big banks gave you. And I know a lot of people stated that if she does this, she's shooting herself in the foot. And that's absolutely true to some degree. But if you weren't corrupt in the first place, don't you see that voters would actually subsidize your donations? I mean, look at Bernie Sanders. He may not have as much donations as you, but he has a lot more contributors. And it's because we're subsidizing his campaign because he's not getting that corporate money. He's not getting that super PAC money. So shut down your super PAC, send back the most corrupt donations you have, and actually fight for us and prove to us that you care about the American people. That's how you get us to vote for you, Hillary Clinton. Martin O'Malley was recently on MSNBC and he discussed how the DNC is trying to limit debates in order to help Hillary Clinton's campaign. Now in doing so, he made the assertion that uh, he challenged Bernie Sanders to an individual debate since there's so little debates uh, and Bernie Sanders declined. Now he also had an exchange with Howard Dean. So I'm going to show you the video and then we'll come back and I'm going to go ahead and break it down because there's a lot that just is not true and incorrect in this video. You say that the strategy for the Democratic debates is designed to limit viewers. Why? Because they're trying to circle the wagons around this year's inevitable frontrunner, Hillary Clinton. And I think that the party leaders, are, or I should say the party leader, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, is doing a terrible disservice to the public. I mean, look how many debates the Republicans have had, and they schedule them on weeknights. Uh, we, we are the Democratic Party, not the undemocratic party. We should be having at least as many debates as they've had. Uh, but in the debates we, that we have been allowed to have, uh, the, uh, although they are hidden on Saturdays, nonetheless, people here in Iowa and people in New Hampshire have been going out of their way to do their due diligence. And we have one more debate coming up in South Carolina. So I continue to, uh, to put forward our message that what our country needs right now to move us forward and out of these rather self-defeating and divided times is new leadership. Not, not more years of divided and, and polarized governance, but actually actually new leadership that can pull us together. Well, as a former governor, as a mayor, I've done that, and that's what I have to offer our party and our country. Well, fortunately, we have a ex-DNC right. header here, so what do you make of that? Well, I, I, you know, I'd actually get, like to get Martin to comment on this if he's still on. Every candidate says that the DNC is against them. I had a referee between President Obama and Hillary Clinton, and they yeah. both thought I was in the tank for the other one. <laughs> um, but I would agree that the debate schedule, I actually disagree with Martin. I don't think it was cooked, the books were cooked, and if they were, they were cooked pretty badly because Hillary Clinton is a very good debater, and every, after each debate, she gets a bump. So if this was a strategy to, to help Hillary Clinton, I don't think it has. Uh, but, I, you know, it is true. You have to admit, Martin, that it, <laughs> it is true that every candidate complains about the DNC favoring the other candidate, right? Yeah, but it's also true that we've never had so few debates. Can you ever remember a time when the people of Iowa and, and New Hampshire were each told they only get one debate? So that's, that's a question I have before. for you. Why not? Look, I mean, this happened. I, I was actually the architect of the six debates. It was actually to protect our candidates from all the organizations that demanded it. But my prediction was, which so far hasn't come true, is there were, in fact, going to be lots of debates. Why, I mean, if I were you, I'd get together with Bernie and say, we're going to have a debate. Hillary, you're invited to come. If the DNC doesn't like it, too bad. Yeah, you think I haven't done that? Yeah. I've mm -hmm. done that. 
I asked Senator Sanders. Senator Sanders didn't want to do more debates uh, either. He kind of liked where it is. But hey, huh. look, all of that is what it is. The concentration of power and wealth in our economy, that same concentration of power and wealth is happening in the Democratic Party. And you know what? I don't care. The people are going to decide. And I'm going to go out and I'm going to campaign in Iowa. I'm going to make my case to the people of New Hampshire, South Carolina, and Nevada. And I believe that people understand that just as their economy is rigged, so too sometimes can be their politics. And I'm going to continue to call forward the goodness in the hearts of Americans. I'm going to advocate for 100% clean electric grid. And I'm going to put out the better path for our party. And I believe that people are going to surprise the pundits and the big wigs in Washington who thought they were cute by trying to limit these debates, hide them behind football games, and Frosty the Snowman. We're going to let the people decide. <laughs> okay, so overall, uh, Martin O'Malley is correct, and Howard Dean is wrong. And in fact, Howard Dean really shows everything wrong about the DNC and the Democratic Party establishment. They think that we're stupid. They think we're naive. Uh, but we're not. We know what's going on. And Howard Dean, you would have to be naive to think that the DNC is not colluding with Clinton, or at least not trying to do everything they can to help her because uh, it's not a surprise that someone who worked for Hillary Clinton in her 2008 campaign is now in favor of her. But I mean, it's obvious that what they're doing is to help Hillary Clinton. I mean, look at this. The rigged debate schedule, the phony van scandal, it's all just ridiculous, okay? And to show you how ridiculous this van scandal was, uh, guess who accessed President or then-candidate Obama's uh, van data in 2008? Hillary Clinton's campaign, one of her staffers specifically, and guess what was done? Nothing. Hillary Clinton was not punished for that. So, I mean, clearly they're doing everything they can because they're scared of Bernie Sanders because he's raising lots and lots of money uh, in spite of not having a super PAC. And also, the progressive movement is growing so large, the Democratic Party may not be able to contain it. Now, furthermore, Howard Dean is obviously an establishment hack. I mean, he was the former DNC chair, so of course he is loyal to them. The Democrats don't get to be cocky when they've lost so many elections. I mean, you guys get hammered every midterm election, and that's because you guys don't do enough to inspire uh, voters at all. I mean, why would we vote for moderate Republican candidates just with the D in front of their name? We don't. I mean, look at Alison Lundergren Grimes. Uh, look at the other candidates that they put up in 2014. Terrible, terrible choices. So you guys don't get to be cocky anymore, okay? We're done with that. Uh, now, furthermore, uh, when Martin O'Malley stated that he did challenge Bernie Sanders to a debate, but Bernie Sanders declined, there's a really distinct reason for that. And Martin O'Malley and Howard Dean both know about this. The problem is not the number of six, de uh, six debates. That's paid for by the television studios. They're, they're going to do that. The problem is the so-called exclusivity rule, and that they should get rid of. There's a rule of the DNC, which, make, which is different than what we had, which is if you participate in, a different, in another debate, then you... Uh, can't participate in these six debates. Gotcha, bitch! So not only did the DNC limit the number of debates, but they actually banned candidates from participating in non-DNC-sanctioned debates. So in the event that CNN, let's say hypothetically, wanted to hold a Democratic debate that the DNC was not sanctioning, well, then the candidates would then be banned from any future DNC-sanctioned debates. Now, if you're banned from the DNC-sanctioned debates, which are arguably the most important, you effectively kill off your campaign because you don't get that national platform. And candidates such as Bernie Sanders and Martin O'Malley, they need to participate in those debates. Now, furthermore, Martin O'Malley, you're not going anywhere with your campaign. I mean, you've participated in multiple debates. You've been presumably campaigning. I mean, I don't know what else you're doing right now. 
uh, but your campaign is just not doing well. And it's because we know you. I, I mean, you're you're Obama Jr. over there. You're going to get in. You're going to campaign as a progressive. You're going to get, get in and you're going to flip on us. But we're on to you, buddy. I, we know that by saying this, you're just trying to make Bernie Sanders look bad. But Bernie Sanders probably would debate you if he could because Bernie Sanders is a better debater than you. I mean, your performance at the last Democratic debate was atrocious. So to be all cocky, you try to flex to make it seem as though, you know, uh, you could just own Bernie Sanders in a debate is nonsense. You're a terrible debater. You did okay in the second one, but I mean, where have you been at the first, in the third debate? Where have you been in your campaign in general? We all know that Martin O'Malley's true intention at this point is probably just to become the VP, uh, but I don't know. It, this rubbed me the wrong way and I really wanted to talk about this because there is a lot wrong in this video. So when it comes to the officer who shot and killed Tamir Rice, uh, to remind you guys, he's the 12-year-old who had a toy gun who uh, police officers pulled up and shot him in less than two seconds. Uh, well, he uh, is not going to have any justice because the officer who shot and killed him will not even be indicted. So it's not even going to go to trial to let a jury decide. He's not going to be indicted. He's getting away scot-free. Uh, and I think this is really, really sad. I mean, this is a 12-year-old child. I have a nephew who's also 12 years old. And, you know, this is unimaginable. I can't, I can't even imagine what the family of Tamir Rice is going through right now. Uh, and not to mention, her, uh, his, his sister was assaulted by police officers when she was trying to figure out what was going on at the time. So, I mean, this family has suffered such a great injustice. Uh, and the fact that they're not even going to have the chance to um, plead their case to a jury, it's honestly sickening. And it, much like the Eric Garner case and the other cases that the Black Lives Matter movement is consistently, you know, talking about and spreading awareness about, it just shows that we have to have criminal justice reform. I mean, not all cops are bad, obviously, but they have to be able to defuse situations. And furthermore, I mean, it's widely known that the police officer in this case was unfit for duty. I mean, he was literally deemed unfit for duty, and yet not even an indictment. I mean, as we all found out about, you know, the, uh, the Mike Brown case, you can indict a ham sandwich if you really wanted to. It's easy. But again, no justice. And, you know, it's just really disheartening because... Of all the cases, I think this one is the most upsetting for me, just because, again, 12, a child. Uh, so, yeah, I just wanted to put that out there in case you guys weren't aware of this. It's a couple of days old at this point, but um, I couldn't not talk about this because it's absolutely egregious. It flies in the face of human rights. Uh, and again, just my mind is blown. Like, I, I can't come up with the words. I can't articulate what I feel other than just disappointment. Because it's, it's just so upsetting. I mean, a kid, a little kid, killed, 12 years old. That's very, very young. <sighs> yeah. Okay, so it is the end of the year, and I wanted to do a countdown of the most inspirational people of 2015. Now, I have decided to uh, come up with four nominees, and then I allowed all of my viewers on social media, uh, Twitter and Facebook, to choose from the four nominees. Uh, so I'll go ahead and tell you the results after I tell you why I nominated these four people. So first and foremost, uh, my first nominee is Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, this is my favorite Supreme Court justice of all time, and it's arguably one of the best um, outcomes of the Bill Clinton administration. He appointed Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and she is 
phenomenal. She's absolutely phenomenal. She stood up for civil rights, women's rights. That's one of the reasons why I really love her uh, and admire her. I mean, she's a warrior. She's a progressive. Uh, and she's not afraid to take controversial positions. Now, my second nominee is Bernie Sanders. Now, Bernie Sanders changed this entire dynamic of the presidential race. I mean, when he announced his candidacy, a lot of people thought he was a long shot. And now he's really just become, you know, a powerhouse in this election. And he has the ability to actually pull off a political upset. And I think that's just crazy. It's inspiring to progressives and uh, liberal young millennial voters who just were just disenfranchised by Barack Obama and thought that there wasn't hope, that we'd never get a true progressive. And we got him with Bernie Sanders. So I think that's very inspiring. Another person is Malala Yousafzai. Uh, again, I mean, this doesn't need an explanation. I mean, it's Malala. She's phenomenal. Uh, she took a bad situation, turned it around. She's building schools, trying to help women get education and trying to support education in other countries. It's just phenomenal. I mean, this individual is so inspiring. She's so young and she's doing so much. So I had to include her. Uh, another person is Laverne Cox. This is the go-to transgender activist in my mind. I mean, she knows how to actually speak to individuals who are within her community, unlike uh, Caitlyn Jenner and whatnot. Um, she's a great actress, and she's very inspiring, uh, and I think her story resonates with a lot of people. Uh, and furthermore, 2015 is basically the year of transgender rights. We've made so many improvements in that regard, so I think that it'd be appropriate to put her on this list. So now going through the results in both Twitter and Facebook. Now, uh, in second place is Malala uh, with over 14% of the vote. Now, I'm showing you the Twitter image, but uh, this doesn't take into account the Facebook votes as well. Uh, but it's around a little over 14% in total. Uh, so Malala is in second place. Now, this means that Bernie Sanders has won the prestigious Humanist Report Most Inspiring Person of the Year, and it was by a landslide. I mean, there was no competition. Uh, I think that this is appropriate. I voted for him. I mean, I think I can vote in my own polls, right? If not, <laughs> tell me your thoughts on that. But um, yeah, uh, I agree with this. I think that Bernie Sanders really is the most inspiring person of the year. He's given me hope. He's given me something to actually fight for and look forward to. And uh, regardless of the outcome of this election in 2016, the Bernie Sanders momentum will not go anywhere. The progressive movement is here to stay because of Bernie Sanders, and we're going to continue to grow more powerful uh, than ever. So thank you, Bernie Sanders, for being the most inspiring person. I doubt he's going to watch this, but if you do see it, you are truly an inspiration, uh, and this goes without saying for the other people as well. So with the new year comes a bunch of villains uh, in politics. Uh, and 2015 was no exception. It was really difficult to limit the list down to four, but I came up with four people who I think really represent uh, just a disgrace to the country in 2015, and uh, all of my viewers voted on who they thought was the most disliked person of the year. So my nominees are Martin Shkreli, of course, because he is a big douchebag. He's a pharma bro who increased the cost of a life-saving drug by 5,000%. Uh, and he backtracked and said he would reduce the price. He didn't. And he's basically like 
a adult version of Cartman from South Park. He bought the Wu-Tang Clan album for $2 million, and then he was like, I'm going to be the only one to listen to this, or I'm never going to listen to this, or something stupid like that. But this guy is a big douchebag, uh, and I couldn't not include him on the list. Um, another person is obviously Donald Trump. I mean, this guy is egregious. He is a proto-fascist. That means that he espouses fascist rhetoric and fascist policies, but he hasn't adopted the violent platform of fascism yet. Uh, and that's absolutely true. Uh, if you disagree with that, look up some of the policies of Hitler, compare them to Donald Trump, and there's some overlap there, which is terrifying. This guy is a xenophobe. He's an Islamophobe. He's a homophobe. He's anti-woman. This guy is just disgusting. So Donald Trump obviously made the list of 2015's most disliked people. Now, another person is Kim Davis. So obviously she's a big bigot. Uh, the far right thinks she's a hero because she uh, denied licenses to uh, gay people. She's not a hero. She's a bigot, and she's going to go down as a bigot in the history books. So thanks for giving us, you know, a story to tell to students 20 years from now uh, in the gay, uh, gay marriage section of the civil rights history book. Now, the last person I came up with was Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Now, I was a bit apprehensive about putting her on here, considering the fact that, you know, I didn't include the Koch brothers. They were a top contender, trust me, or Sheldon Adelson or any of the right-wing neocons. But I put Debbie Wasserman Schultz on her because she is basically the, the embodiment of corruption, and she is tearing apart the Democratic Party. Uh, over the years, I mean, they have lost so many seats in legislators, not just, you know, in legislators around the country, uh, not just in Congress. So, just, I mean, across the board, she's bad for the Democratic Party. They're losing. There's a conflict of interest between her and uh, Hillary Clinton. She's doing everything she can to stifle Bernie Sanders' campaign. She hasn't resigned. She's just a bad person overall. Like, not only is she corrupt, she's just a bad person. And she's not good for the Democratic Party. And if they want to win, they've got to ditch Debbie. Because basically, I think that her name, her nickname for me anyways, is Debbie Do Anything for Hillary. Because she's willing to do anything, even violate the DNC's own rules, just to push uh, Hillary Clinton's campaign ahead. So I put Debbie do anything for Hillary on the list. Well, that's the episode. I want to thank all of my subscribers and welcome my newest subscribers to the channel. Now, furthermore, uh, I want to take a minute to reflect on 2015 and um, give you guys a little bit of uh, a glimpse at what's in store for the Humanist Report in 2016. So... For 2015, this has been just an epic year politically. I mean, we saw the rise of Bernie Sanders. We finally have nationwide marriage equality. Uh, and for me in general, I mean, this has been a great year personally. Uh, I got my master's degree. I got into a PhD program. Uh, I started the Humanist Report. Reluctantly, I almost didn't start the Humanist Report. Uh, but, you know, my partner talked me into it. And here we are now about to go into the new year with 5,000 subscribers. I remember when I posted my first video on June 18th, the very first episode I filmed, I, I uploaded it, I went for a walk with my dog for a couple of miles, came back, had one view, <laughs> and I was like, oh my god, I'm doing this for nothing, and I spent the money on the camera, uh, and, and, you know, lights, the setup and whatnot, and trying to make it look really professional, and I thought this was just a waste of money and time, but slowly but surely, 
uh, we're finally rising. Uh, and what's great is that 2015 really represents the rise of progressives in general on YouTube too. Uh, myself, as well as Benjamin Dixon, uh, Debbie from the same progressive, uh, new progressive era. Um, we've got Progressive Blacksmith, all these YouTube channels, which you can check out, um, as well as No Bullshit. Uh, these are all on the Humanist Report YouTube page. Uh, I have a link on the right-hand side. I mean, we, we are all rising steadily, uh, and it just shows that, you know, the progressive movement is getting bigger and bigger. So I thought that 2015 was a great year for that. Now, as for what's in store for the Humanist Report in 2016, um, Nothing is definite, but basically we're trying to stay afloat at this point. You guys have helped with that. Our sponsors have uh, helped with that. But basically what I mean by that is paying the bills. So paying for, you know, our web domain fees, paying to actually uh, maintain our RSS feed because we haven't been up on iTunes. I think we have three episodes on iTunes and um, I think that's it. So we're trying to basically stay afloat, uh, but I think it'll be better in 2016 in terms of funding because you know it's the second year we have a little bit more momentum uh, and we're not just starting out now furthermore I think that um, I'm gonna try this this may be kind of more further out there uh, but I'm hoping to make some technical upgrades in 2016 um, a new microphone um, a cardioid which is what you see on the David Pakman show on uh, secular talk on I believe Joe Rogan basically uh, the breakfast club any podcast has the cardioid. It's basically the standard. Uh, so I think that if we got this, that'd be a significant improvement. We also need a mixer. We need new lights. We need to upgrade the set a little bit. We need some technological improvements to the show. Uh, so that may be in the works. But other than any substantial changes, I don't necessarily think that they'll come. Maybe I'll change the format a little bit. But I mean, 2016 is going to be a big year for us regardless because it's the 2016 election. There's going to be a lot to talk about. We're going to have a brand new president, and hopefully that president is Bernie Sanders. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I want to thank all of you guys who have found me this year and who are enjoying the Humanist Report and are commenting and interacting. Uh, I really appreciate it. You guys have really uh, just given me something to look forward to, and uh, myself as well as a lot of my viewers are kind of like a big family now. I feel like that with Bernie Sanders supporters, too. I mean, I, I met a lot of great people this year. Uh, the Bernie 2016 crew, I mean... Richard Green, I mean, Chris Love, uh, John, they're all so great. I mean, the Bernie Sanders and progressive community has been so welcoming of the Humanist Report. Uh, I'm just so grateful. So 2016 should hopefully be a really great year. Uh, so yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. <laughs>